All right, so um, as you guys probably recognized, you know, well, first of all, we've been going through Mark for about five weeks, if this is your first time here. And, um, you know, we've been moving, moving you know, uh, relatively slowly through each chapter, and, um, and we come to Mark 4 this morning. And if you haven't noticed, the, uh, Mark 4 is uh, the Christ teaching on the parables. And uh, the parables are in every single uh, gospel, uh, except for John. John's more theological, but all of the gospels that focus on uh, a more linear historical account of Christ's life, every one of those gospels has the parables in them. Um, and uh, what's interesting about Mark, though, is that Mark, uh, focusing you know, less on the actual telling of the parables, uh, if you noticed, in verses 1 through 25, Jesus tells one parable, and then the rest of the verses are actually focusing on uh, why Jesus tells them. And uh, so it's quite interesting that, that Mark uh, is, is sort of a, a commentary on why Jesus tells the parables. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why does Jesus teach in parables? You know, his most famous sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, is quite uh, straightforward. He, he might have a few stories here and there, but it's relatively straightforward. It's, it's uh, for the most part, moving through the, the Ten Commandments. The parables, however, are not. And, um, you know, when I was growing up as a Christian, I always saw the parables uh, as fun little stories that Jesus used to relate to his crowd. Uh, if you notice, most of the parables, at least uh, this first parable, uh, he, he takes uh, imagery from uh, farming. And most of his hearers, if you look at the, the beginning of chapter 4, there's a large crowd that gathers around Christ. Uh, in verse 1 it says, And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he had to get into a boat, right? So he's got his own little mega church that sort of comes to the shore. It's so big, he's like falling into the sea. So he gets into a boat, goes out into the water, and starts teaching this massive crowd. And uh, most of the people that would have been listening to him would have been farmers or uh, from, from that sort of uh, work. And so I always thought when I was reading the parables, I always thought, well, Jesus is trying to be a good teacher. You know, he's trying to connect to his audience uh, he's using uh, imagery and stories uh, that the people could relate to. And, um, you know, I, I learned this also in my, in my undergrad. I, I got an undergrad in pastoral theology. It's an interesting title, pastoral theology. And um, as, you, as you can guess, you know, most of it was about how to be a good pastor. And uh, so I had to take about six classes in teaching or preaching, six classes in all. And so as you, as you can guess, I learned a lot about how to be a good preacher. I'm not sure if I apply much of it today, but hey, whatever. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that um, my teacher, I still remember my preaching teacher. Uh, he was a very charismatic person. And uh, he, he's, he, taught, he taught us this. He actually gave us, gave us a whole outline to, to use. And he said, you know, every two minutes, you have to put in a sermon illustration. Some sort of story that will grip your, grip your audience, like right now, the irony, right? I'm using a sermon illustration to talk about sermon illustrations. You have to use a sermon illustration but every two minutes. And you know why? Because the average person can only pay, pay attention for about two minutes. Right? So that's what they're teaching us about you in seminary, by the way. And he says, every two minutes, try to put a, try to put a story in there. And make sure that it's a story that's relatable. Put, you know, put something in that uh, the average person will be able to relate to, something that's humorous. And grip their attention, and once you got their attention, you know, if you see somebody nodding off, just talk a little louder, you know, yell a little bit. 
Once they're all awake, though, then you can go back into the text, all right? And he said, teach like Jesus taught. He taught in parables. And, you know, what, what were the parables for? Well, they were for gripping uh, his audience's attention, for relating to them uh, in, in a unique way, and uh, te- teach like they did, or teach like he did, rather. And that's what I was taught in my undergrad, at least. Now, I want you to pay attention, though, to this passage, because Jesus jumps right into the parables, but what happens after he teaches his first parable? And I just, here's, you know, here's what I want you to come away with before we actually jump into the sermon. If Jesus is using parables like sermon illustrations, he's doing a horrible, horrible job at it, okay? That, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make here, because he finishes his parable, and in verse 9 he says, he who has ears, let him hear. And then in verse 10 it says, and when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked about the parables. Now we don't know what, he, what they ask in this passage, but if you go to uh, Matthew 13, Matthew makes it a little more explicit. The disciples are totally lost, okay? Not only uh, do they not understand why Jesus is speaking in parables, they have to ask two times, Jesus, what are you saying? <laughs> Uh, can, can you please just make this more clear for me? Can you, can you clarify this? Because you, you're, tell, you're teaching in these stories, and I just, I don't really understand them. And uh, that's actually what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, do you not understand the parable? And then he goes on to teach in a, in a clearer way. So if Jesus is using the parables, at least like I was taught, uh, sort of like a sermon illustration, a, a way to sort of grab and connect with his audience, he's doing a horrible job at it. And even beyond that, if Jesus is using illustrations from every day, he sure doesn't know how to farm. Because he tells the story of the sower, and the sower is just throwing seeds indiscriminately. What farmer does that? He's like, ah, I'm going to throw some on some rocks. Uh, I'll throw some in the ocean. I'll throw some in the soil. No farmer does that. A farmer throws them in the rich soil. And so he's, even if he is using uh, uh, you know, imagery from every day, uh, from everyday work, he's not doing a very good job of understanding what farmers do, okay? And uh, so the disciples are confused by the end of the parables. And, um, you know, not only that, we saw in Mark 1 that Jesus just regularly teaching grabbed their attention. If you remember from um, the sermon uh, that Brent gave on, on uh, Jesus in everyday life, it talks about how he taught, he taught with such authority. His own authority was what grabbed uh, their attention, and so, why is Jesus speaking in parables? That's what I want to uh, talk about this morning. I don't know if you've ever heard, a, you've probably heard sermons on the parables, going through the parables. What I want to do, at least attempt to do, is do a sermon on why Jesus spoke in parables. Because if Jesus is using parables to connect with his audience, to clarify his teaching, he's doing a really awful job at it. And so there must be another reason as to why Jesus is speaking in parables in Mark tells us that um, through this passage. And so that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Why does Jesus talk in parables? All right, so we're going to be looking at three points. Three points this morning. The first one is, what are parables? I don't know if you ever wondered that. What are parables? Uh, Second of all, why does Jesus use them? And then third of all, uh, how, how do we apply them? So what are parables? Why does Jesus use them? And how should we apply them? All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first point here. What are parables? What are parables? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, uh, parables were not unique to Jesus. Uh, 
the Greeks of his day used them. And actually, if you, uh, I believe it's Plato, he talks about the best way to use parables, uh, how, how, how best to tell them. But what is a parable? Uh, well, a parable is uh, it's a combination. Parable is actually a transliteration of a Greek word, which is parabola. And parable is a combination of two words. And uh, it literally means to cast or throw alongside. To cast or throw alongside. And uh, the idea behind that combination of words is that a parable is a story meant to come alongside sort of tr- uh, some sort of truth. Uh, or put it another way, it's a story that is meant to communicate uh, some generalized truth. Uh, some sort of truth uh, through the telling of a story. Now, right from the outs- uh, outset, I know that it sort of does sound like a, a sermon illustration. But I, just, I want you to look at uh, how Jesus tells the parables. Because usually when I'm, and I just want to let you sort of let you into how I prepare for sermons, I, what I usually do when I'm teaching is, uh, is I will give you the clear truth. Like, here's the clear truth. Here's what a parable is, and so on. And then what I'll do is I'll try to illustrate it for you. Right? So the story will come on the back side of a teaching. Right? Does that make sense? So I'll give you some sort of clear truth, and then I'll, I'll tell a story. Jesus does the opposite. If you notice here at, at this, um, uh, in, in this passage, it says in, in verse 3 that he just starts telling this parable. And then finally in verse 13, he explains the parable. So he actually reverses the order of, of a normal sermon type thing. But also if you look in verse 2, Mark tells us that Jesus was teaching them many things in parables. And uh, what what that means is that Jesus was teaching through the stories themselves. Uh, Meaning, you know, if the the disciples hadn't been confused, he would have just said, okay, you guys guys got the story, you guys had the the teaching, let's move on. Uh, In other words, the parables in themselves were a teaching method for Christ. And um, so they're not sermon illustrations. Uh, the question is, what can they be compared to? Well, a parables can be compared to two things. And um, <clears throat> being a Jewish man, uh, he, he probably would have uh, identified more with the first one, but I'm going to use a, a, a second one for you that, that you might more identify with. But first of all, a parable can be compared to a proverb. Okay? If you've ever read the Proverbs, they're there's a lot of like, pithy little uh, wisdom statements, but there's also a lot of stories in the Proverbs. And uh, Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and what he was trying to do was he was trying to tell stories that communicated some sort of wisdom to his son. And so if you read uh, you know, Proverbs 5, something like that, he, ta- he, he, he tells a story where wisdom is the main character. And he says, wisdom is out in the streets, and she's crying out, and she's saying, follow me, and so on. Right, he's telling a story, and he's meaning to communicate some sort of wisdom through it. Right? So that's the first thing that a parable can be like. The second thing that a parable can be like is a parable is a lot like a riddle. Okay, a riddle. And uh, most American riddles are sort of um, more like jokes. Okay, so I, I have a riddle for you. Uh, you guys ready? Okay. Somebody say yes. Okay, good. Very good. I just heard this one, and I told it to many of my students. So if you're a student, don't, don't shout it out. But here's a riddle, and I just, want to, I just want you to compare this experience to the disciples' experience. All right, so a riddle. There are, there are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? Anybody know the answer? Nobody? The answer is 10. Okay, the answer is 10. I want you to think about that through the rest of the sermon. Although, pay attention though. Don't pay attention. There are 30 cows in a field and 28 chickens. How many didn't? The answer is 10. 
anybody get it? Raise your hand if you get it. Okay, all two of you, very good. The answer, okay, how many didn't? Uh, What you're hearing is there's 30 cows and then there's the number 28 chickens. What I'm saying is there's 30 cows and 20 of those cows ate chickens. You guys get it now? Okay, good, all right. Everybody laughed, that was so funny. But how do you feel when you hear a riddle like that? You think, what is he saying, right? That's exactly how the disciples would have felt when Jesus taught the parables. They wouldn't have said, ah, Jesus, thank you for clarifying this teaching. They would have said, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? What farmer throws seeds on rocks? Right? The disciples were confused. And then what, what, what question do you usually ask after a riddle? Okay, what does it mean? T- t- clarify for me. And that's exactly what the, the disciples did. And so what was Jesus doing? Well, he was telling proverb-like riddles. Okay? Now the question is, why would Jesus do that? And let's uh, go ahead and uh, move to our second point here. Because I just want you to think here. There are, there's this loud, large crowd that follows Jesus to the shore. Okay? Uh, most pastoral books are going to say, listen, if, if, if you want to keep those crowds, okay, don't confuse them. Right? Uh, if you want to keep crowds in your church, you want to keep them in the, in the pew, in the seats, uh, teach as clear as possible. Okay, and I actually had to learn this when I first bec- uh, went into ministry. I worked part-time as a college pastor. And I got this Bible study, about 30 students, and I was just fresh out of uh, college, and I was all academic-y and boring. And I was excited about all the stuff that I was teaching. Uh, but little did I know, I was boring my college students to death, okay, and, um, and the reason was because I would just go off teaching, and, I, and an hour would go, and then I would finish at around an hour and ten minutes, and half of the college students would be asleep, right? <laughs> and uh, I just remember this one, this one girl came up to me after about three weeks of this, and she, she came up to me. She was so sweet. God bless her. She came up to me. She said, so Lucas, how do you think it's going? <laughs> now, what she wanted to say was, Lucas, you are just doing horrible right? I fell asleep the whole time. Please shorten it. But what I learned was that if I want to grip people's attention, I have to go shorter. And I I can't have long compound sentences, right? I have to keep things short and concise and as clear as possible. And so I shortened my messages from an hour to 30 minutes, okay? And for the students on Wednesday nights, if you ever show up on Wednesday nights, I try not to go past 25 minutes, because I know that if I know that if I want to get some truth communicated, it's got to be short and pithy and clear, and not because we're dumb or anything, but it's just because man, an hour is a long time. It's like I can barely make it through an hour and a half movie. And so, um, if Jesus is trying to keep these crowds, he's doing a horrible job at it. He's doing an awful job at it. And so the question is, why does Jesus teach through parables? Why does he do it? And you might say, well, the parables are short. Yeah, but they're confusing. And the details are sort of out of alignment with everyday life. He, he, he's telling confusing, riddled stories. Why is he doing that? Okay, and so let's, let's go ahead and um, look at uh, verse 10, because the disciples ask why. Now, Mark doesn't tell us that, but it, it just says that they asked about the parables. In, Mar- in Matthew 13, it, it tells us very clearly that the disciples are confused and that they're wondering why Jesus is teaching this way. But if you look at verse 10, 
Mark says this, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. Now I just want to pause here. You know, in the early letters, there was no uh, chapter breaks. Okay? And if you remember from last week, Mark uh, made a contrast between those who were inside and those who were outside. I don't know if you remember that. But if you go through Mark 3, Mark uh, really concentrates on those who are on the inside of Christ's disciple family, this new Israel family, and then those who are on the outside. And Mark is sort of continuing in that same vein of thought. But he says, to you it has been given, uh, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but to those on the outside, everything is in parables. So that, and here, this is a quote, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. All right, so that's sort of confusing. And and, and I hope that you're with me when you read that and say, you know, Lucas, it sort of seems like Jesus is speaking in riddles so that people won't be forgiven. Right? Do you guys see that? If you look back at verse 12, that they may indeed see but not perceive, hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That is one of the most puzzling statements from Christ that I've ever read. Because it sure sounds like Christ is saying, I'm speaking in parables so that those on the outside won't be able to get on the inside. And the answer is, that's exactly why Christ is speaking in riddles. He's speaking in riddles so that the crowds, if you look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, there's this large crowd that comes around him. And for some reason, he doesn't want those crowds that, that uh, come around him, remember he has to get in this boat, which means there's got to be a lot of people. For some reason, he doesn't want those crowds to understand and to be forgiven. Okay, and I just want you to let that sit. That needs to sit, and it needs to alarm you. Lots of red flags should be going off. Because why did Jesus come to this world? John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that we would uh, you know, have eternal life and so on. Jesus says at the, at the very end of on John chapter 3, he says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And if you remember, just in the last few weeks, the Pharisees are angry at Christ because he's reaching to the outsider. And so we have to ask, why in the world would Jesus do this? Isn't Jesus all about grace? Okay? Why would Jesus do this? And there are two layers of context that we have to understand. Two layers. First layer is this. When Jesus gives the answer... In uh, verse 12, he's not, you know, making up his own statement. He's quoting from an Old Testament book, Isaiah, um, in, in chapter 6, okay, in chapter 6. Chapter 6 of Isaiah is very important for the entire book. In, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 6, it's this very interesting passage where God is calling out, and he's saying, who will be my prophet to preach to Israel? He's, he's sort of looking around. It's very poetic, and, and uh, you can go read it when you get home. He's crying out for someone to be a prophet to Israel because Israel uh, has gone wayward yet again. And she's uh, committing idolatry. They're, you know, they're sacrificing their children to Molech and so on. They're, they're doing these awful, horrible things. And Isaiah says, I'll do it. Right? Now, if you ever, uh, you know, a lot of times people preach that passage and say, see, God's calling you to go do ministry. Yeah, let's do it. 
But we don't read the rest of the passage. Because Isaiah volunteers for ministry and then God says, okay, Isaiah, you're going to go prophesy to Israel. And they're going to listen to you, but they're not really going to listen to you. And they're going to see, but they're not really going to see. And they are going to be judged. Isaiah, your ministry is going to be a massive failure. And it's not going to be a ministry of renewal. It's going to be a ministry of judgment. Because you are my last chance for Israel. And after they refuse you, and after they say, I don't want to listen to you anymore, Babylon's going to come and judge them. Right? And Isaiah says, well, why? And, and, and God answers, and he says, because their hearts are dull. They're spiritually wayward. They don't care. And so they're going to listen to you, but they're not really going to listen to you. And they're going to watch you and see you, but they're not really going to see. And they're blind, and they don't love me anymore. So therefore, your ministry is going to be a ministry of judgment. Okay. So that's the first layer of context. That passage in Isaiah 6. Second, second layer of context is this. When Jesus came to this earth, and I don't know if you've thought about this before, but Jesus was an immediate sensation when he came to this earth. Right, right from the very get-go at uh, the beginning of Mark, it says that the crowds were amazed at his authority. Uh, not only that, but you know, Jesus was sort of like, he had mega uh, church-sized crowds. If you remember the multiplication of the loaves, it talks about how there were 5,000 men that had come. What's not included is the women and the children. And so there were upward to 20,000 people that would come and, and get bread, and uh, you know, people were hearing about the healings. And at the very beginning of this passage, it's probably hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people that are gathering to the shore to hear Jesus preach. Now, who are these crowds that are coming to listen to Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us by quoting this passage. They are the same wayward, spiritually dull Israel that didn't listen to Isaiah. And Jesus knew that they were coming to listen to him, but not because they believed in him. You know, John 6 is a very fascinating passage where Jesus just says outright, he says, you know, there's all these crowds coming to follow me, but they're not coming for me. They're coming because I fed them the bread. They're coming because I showed uh, these miraculous signs. Even the Pharisees were like, show us more signs. And Jesus knew that the reason that the crowds were sort of all coming to him, pressing against him, was not because they wanted to hear his teaching. And it was not because they believed in who he was. It was because they wanted to show. Do more miracles for us, Jesus. Give us more bread. And Jesus says, I can't take this any longer. And therefore, he starts speaking in riddles. Now, I just have a question. If you have come to see signs in a show, magic tricks, and Jesus starts speaking in riddles that you just can't understand, what are you going to do? You're going to walk away. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to get rid of the spectators. Now, if you're a true follower of Jesus and you follow him for him, if you hear a riddle, what are you going to do? You're going to press in and you're going to say, Jesus, I didn't understand this. Can you please explain this to me? Both of the crowds don't understand it. But only the disciples come forward and say, Jesus, can you please explain this to me? 
And so Jesus is trying to get rid of the fakers, of the people who are following him because they want to see signs. And in that way, the parables are a ministry of judgment. The parables are a ministry of judgment, and that's exactly what Jesus wants us to understand. The parables are not good. And at the same time, they are good if you're a disciple, (laughs) because you can sort of press in and wonder and question, and that's exactly what people do uh, when they're following him, uh, when they're truly interested in him. All right, so let's, let's end this here. How can we apply these parables? Because I haven't even gotten into the parables. Uh, I will at the very end here. But how can we apply this teaching? Uh, because what Mark is wanting us to understand, he's wanting us to understand Jesus' methodology. More, even more than the parables themselves, he wants us to understand Jesus' ministry methodology. And uh, there, there's two immediate applications here. Here's the first. One is about Jesus and the church, and one is about you. Uh, so here's the first one. Jesus could care less about big crowds. Jesus could care less about big crowds for the sake of having big crowds. In fact, uh, Jesus wanted to get rid of the crowds. Jesus is the worst mega church pastor ever. Okay. <laughs> he could care less about the crowds. What Jesus wants is he wants followers. He wants people who will follow him for him. And you say, well, what about the, doesn't Jesus love the outsider? And the answer is yes. Jesus reached out to the outsider. He loved the outsider, but we have to ask, why did Jesus reach out to the outsider? Why did Jesus cleanse the lepers and so on? Why did he do that? It wasn't so that they could just, you know, stay in their sin and and stay in their old lives and not change. It was so that they could be full followers of Christ. And if you want to put this in layman's terms, why does Jesus give us grace and forgiveness and justification? Why does he release us of all our sin debt? Why? Well, it is not simply for us to get out of hell. That is not what salvation is about. Jesus wants us to be fully transformed disciples. And that includes our own participation in following him and in trying and in striving and in you know, working hard. And it's not that we earn our salvation. Salvation is utterly free. But God forgives you so that he can transform you. God accepts you so that you can be the full, healthy human being that he had created us to be. And that's what Jesus wants. He doesn't want spectators. He wants followers. And, you know, just by way of um, analogy here, you know, this is why we do church membership. It's not because, you know, the people who become members are better Christians. But the mentality that we have and and, and that Brent has communicated to us on staff, you you know, almost every week is we want as many people to fill up these seats as possible. Whoever walks in is welcomed. But then, somehow, we want you to come from being welcomed your first Sunday to being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That's our mentality behind everything that we do. We want to welcome you 
as much as possible. Everyone is welcome because that's what God, God is love. He welcomes everyone freely through Jesus Christ. But then he wants to transform us into fully devoted followers of Jesus. All right. Just as we end here. Second application is this. Are you a spectator or are you a follower? Are you a spectator or are you a follower? And just to get into the parable of the sower for one minute, all of the commentators of Mark say that the parable of the sower is Jesus' own commentary on why he speaks in parables. Because he knows that he's preaching, but he's preaching to four different types of people. Those who won't get it and who the enemy will come and grab the truth from, those who are uh, enamored by the cares of the world, those who uh, are, are you know, uh, choked out by anxiety, and then only one-fourth of the crowd is rich soil where the word can go deep and blossom and, and, and grow. And so the question of this text, it, demand, it demands us to ask, us to ask ourselves this, is what type of disciple am I? Am I a spectator? Someone who is dragged here by my spouse or my mom or dad. Someone who comes reluctantly but doesn't listen and so on. And then I walk out and the, and the rest of the week I'm, I'm not changed at all. Or am I a fully devoted follower? This is what Jesus wants from you. And he will give you all the grace you need to get there. But the one thing that Jesus wants is he wants you to stick around and ask, Jesus, what did you mean by that? And remember, the disciples are not smart people. Okay? <laughs> Peter is not a great guy. He fell on his face a thousand times and he didn't get it. And yet Jesus says, as long as you stay, ask. I'll pick you up a billion times. Just don't walk away. Don't get bored and say, you know what, I'll get bread somewhere else. Stay and ask and I'll give you as much grace as I can which is an infinite amount. And so Jesus says, what sort of follower are you? And he wants the answer to be the rich soil, the soil that sticks around and grows and produces fruit by God's own power. All right, so let's pray. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just uh, thank you for this challenging uh, text. And uh, help us to feel the challenge of it. Help us to feel the weight of Jesus allowing people to be confused and to walk away. But also help us to feel the weight of the fact that Jesus will help us every step of the way as long as we follow him. He will give us as much grace as possible as long as we stick around and follow him and stay with him. And um, help help us to do that by your own power, and pray this in Christ's name, amen.